Vanessa Rerick and her associate, Gina. They've been working for a number of years at the Light Choices Pregnancy Center in Catanning. And you have known that that's one of the passions we have as a church as to what we can do with that endeavor. And we've been working with a pregnancy center down out of Pittsburgh, Coriopolis area. I found out not only were they working locally, they were actually working in Butler. And we had lunch with them, and immediately we were hooked. And we knew this being this particular Sunday, Right of Life Sunday, if you look in your bulletin, there is a blue flyer from Pennsylvania Family Institute. gives you a lot of information about that. It says in there, we want to make sure that they encourage you to participate with a local crisis pregnancy center. And we're doing that. How many of you saw the baby bottles on your way in and wondered if there was an influx of new children coming into our midst? Well, in a sense, we're hoping there is, in a real sense. I'm going to invite Chelsea up, Chelsea Rerick. She's going to explain to you what their ministry is all about. We're going to talk about this for a moment. And then when she is done, I will again encourage you to take one of these and do that. Welcome to Butler Community Alliance, Chelsea. Pleasure to have you. Good morning. As Pastor Denny said, my name is Chelsea Rarick, and I'm the Executive Director of Life Choices. And thank you for allowing me a few minutes to share about our organization, which the Lord is using to literally save lives in your community. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and this is a day that we set aside each year to recognize the unborn that have lost their lives to abortion. Since Roe versus Wade, we are celebrating the 40th anniversary. We are recognizing that on this day, for the past 40 years, we have recognized that, <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost my place. This is a nerve-wracking church to stand in front of. All you faces looking back at me. I never talk at churches this large. Anyways, this is the 40th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. And in those 40 years, over 55 million lives have been lost to abortion. 55 million. One pro-life advocate figured out that if we recognized as a nation each of those children with a moment of silence, we would be silent for 95 years. <laughs> Does that blow anyone else away? 95 years. These numbers are heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. But today I want to share with you how the Lord is changing the tide here in Butler. The Lord is making a difference in Butler. Uh, Life Choices began actually in Armstrong County in 1984. And since then, we've been working to help women facing unplanned pregnancies by offering things like counseling and parenting assistance, material aid, and things like that. But about two years ago, we knew we needed to do something more. We knew that we had to take the next step in fighting abortion. So we opened two years ago in Catanning a medical clinic where we were able to offer free ultrasounds to women facing unplanned pregnancies. And this was huge because studies were showing that 70 to 90% of women who are considering abortion, if they get an ultrasound, choose life. And we thought, let's do it. That's, that's what we need to do. But that wasn't enough being in Catanning because each year the Pennsylvania Department of Health released a report that showed in Butler County, every single year, two to 300 women were choosing abortion here in Butler. And we knew we had to do more. So this past June, through the help of some donors and supporters and a lot of prayer, we opened a medical clinic in downtown Butler. We're on Cunningham Street across from the jail, and we were so excited at how quickly we were open, able to open that clinic. And we thought, okay, well, here we are. How long is it going to take for people to get to know we're here? And how long is it going to take to see some clients? We were blown away when our very first week we saw a miracle happen. The very first client that walked in our doors, her name was Jessica. 
She walked in our doors because she wanted to know where she could get an abortion. And we thought, well, this is why we're here. So we sat down with Jessica. We talked to her about the reality of abortion. And she sat there, a college student who a baby was nowhere in her plans. Her mother brought her to the appointment that day, and her mother pledged her support no matter what decision she made. So we sat and we talked with her, and we prayed as a staff and volunteers that in that time, God would open her eyes to the truth. Because God's the one that changes minds, not man. So we took her into the ultrasound room, and Jessica got up on the table, and she sat down as a girl that had a problem to be taken care of. But the moment that baby appeared on the screen, she became a mother. And as tears rolled down her face, as she recognized the life of her unborn child, she saw the legs and the arms and the heartbeat. She saw the human that was growing inside of her. And her mother, who was sitting there as a supportive mother, quickly realized that she was now an expectant grandmother. And that whole atmosphere changed in that moment. And we were just filled with joy in the clinic, and everybody was excited and happy. And we knew at that moment that God had us here for a specific purpose. He had a plan for us. And even if it was just for that one baby, all the money it took to open that clinic was worth it. But I'm humbled to tell you that since that client this summer, we have seen 10 other women choose life here in Butler from the ultrasound machine. God really is doing amazing things, but we need you to be a part of it. As a nonprofit, uh, we accept no government funding. We want to share the gospel with every client that we see. We want to offer prayer to every client that we see. So we don't want the government telling us what we can and can't do. So we rely solely on donors and individuals like you so that our services can remain free to the community. Some of you may think, well, here she goes, another organization asking for money. And yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. I need your help. And I believe that when you join with something as dear to the Lord's heart as saving the unborn, that God will pour blessings on your life so great that you can't contain them. Luke 6.38 says, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured onto your lap. And I believe that's true. And there are so many ways that you can help us, so many things that we need, monthly support, volunteers, things like that. But today I have a very simple way that I ask you to join with us, and that's our baby bottle campaign. Many of you may know how this works. Um, you saw the bottles. When you leave today, take home a bottle. Fill it with change, cash, checks. I prefer checks with lots of zeros. <laughs> easier on you, easier on us to count. Um, so fill up the bottles and bring them back within three weeks. And part of the reason I'm extra excited and maybe a little nervous today is because our lar largest church to ever participate in this campaign took 350 bottles, and they raised $6,000 for us. <laughs> but today, today I brought with me 1,000 bottles, <laughs> and I am excited to see what God's going to do through the, the baby bottle campaign here. If you'd like to know more about us and more the, about what we're doing as an organization, I have a table set up outside the sanctuary. Please come by and talk to me. But I want to end by saying if you have had an abortion or you know somebody who has and maybe you've kept it hidden in your heart with only you and God knowing about it for years or even decades, 
please seek us out. Please contact us and give us a call. We want to walk you through freedom and healing that can come after abortion. We have post-abortion counselors that would love to talk to you. So thank you very much, and I look forward to working with you. Thank you, Chelsea. Hey, you know why we were impressed so much with her and her ministry and what they're doing. We are so excited about the possibility. She's obviously put a lot of pressure on us based on what other churches have done, and I know that we will be able to meet that. They, again, have a phenomenal clinic. If you ever have the opportunity to stop down and see them, do that. It's really well done. A class organization, great people to work with. Uh, as uh, she said, on this side of Main Street, on this side of the hospital, uh, on Main Street in Cunningham, just stop by, find out what they're all about, and uh, check them out. Next uh, three Sundays is when we ask you to return these, at least by February the 10th. Filled, obviously, and overflowing if possible. But uh, we did this a few years ago, and we were able to raise quite a lot of money. But uh, sometime in June and July, we were starting to get some of them back. And so we're asking over the next three weeks, if you could do that for us, it would help us. It would help certainly them. They're going to count it. And uh, every Monday, Monday they're going to come and collect all the bottles that are brought in. So if you can help us out with that, we would appreciate it. And uh, please, if you're interested in their clinic, more information, helping support in the banquet coming up in May, Make sure you see them. They are really a great organization and great people. Thank you, Chelsea, for being here this morning and your family as well. As I began to prepare this and knowing that today was this particular day that we were doing this particular issue and dealing with it and knowing what I was doing in a sermon over the next few weeks, I began to think in my mind that I find it fascinating that we're talking over the last couple of weeks about taking measures to protect our children, and rightfully so. You've heard me say it from here, and I'll continue to say that I commend Butler Area School District, School Board, all of those who've been involved in taking immediate measures to do that with our children. But in the midst of all the discussions these, in these last two weeks and all the decisions and all the rhetoric that happened this week specifically, of all weeks on the 40th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, that not one person in national leadership, all the way to the President of the United States, ever mentioned the issue of protecting our children whose lives have been snuffed out through abortion. But think about that this week. This week of all weeks. The stats you shared with me the other day were absolutely staggering. 3,600 abortions are performed every single day. 55 million since Roe versus Wade in the last 40 years. Population in the United States is just a hair over 300 million. 55 million lives have been lost to that. One in every five pregnancies ends in abortion. God, help this nation if we don't stop this atrocity. This morning, I want you to take out your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll mention again what they're doing and what God may be calling many of us to do over the next few moments together. I want to return to 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning and in a sense wrap it up as next Sunday morning, Pastor Ted's going to open up 2 Peter chapter 1. And literally pick up where I've left off this morning. In the closing moments of Peter and Paul both, they seem to say a number of things and almost, in a sense, have a number of random thoughts. But if you began to examine them one by one, they're really powerful statements. Near the end of Peter's writing to some people who are going through incredibly difficult times and uncertain days, he makes a very powerful statement, states some consequences if we choose to ignore it, and then in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5, he talks to us about some measures that we can take to stay strong in the midst of all of that. Really gives us some incredible advice. 
1 Peter chapter 5, that's where I want you to be this morning. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Last Sunday morning, if you didn't hear it, you can go on butlercac.org and listen to all the sermons. All of them are archived over the last number of months and years, and it's a great way to keep up. It's also a great way to encourage others to listen to what God is teaching us here. They're all there in either download or an MP3 way. You can listen to it or listen to it online. We encourage you to take advantage of that. Last Sunday morning, we talked about the subject of evil, the forces of darkness that are out for destruction, that a very real enemy who seems to be in an all-out war with humanity. We finished last Sunday morning by identifying some of the ways that we allow Satan access into our lives, areas in our lives that we tolerate sin. We know the Spirit of God has pointed it out. We know we've heard that voice in our head, that voice deep down in our soul that says you ought not to do that or watch that or go there or listen to this. We, we sense that, but we choose to ignore it or hope it'll go away or hope it won't have any effect on my life. But knowing that we hear it, knowing that it's there, we choose to ignore it. And by doing that, we give the enemy an opportunity to attack us and at times even set up camp in an area of our life that we have left unsubmitted to God. And because of that, that's why Peter said, be self-controlled. Be aware of what's going on around you. Be alert. Take personal responsibility. Don't put yourself in a position where you can be tempted and fall. Now, there are many times that God allows these things. Job is a classic example of that. To strengthen our faith, to help us to be strong so that our roots go deep in God and our roots go deep in the Word of God and it spreads out so that when the wind of life blows and temptation comes, we're able to stand strong. A lot of times... God allows that to happen. The issue here is for us to take personal responsibility to not put ourselves in a position where that can happen. You know and I know, I know there are things I cannot watch on television. There are movies that I cannot watch. There are places that you shouldn't go. There are places maybe I shouldn't go. There are people that I shouldn't associate with. There are people that many of you shouldn't associate with based on past circumstances. Based on the fact that instead of making you stronger, they pull you back. 1 Corinthians 15 quotes the Proverbs when it said, Just so you know, don't be misled. Bad company can corrupt good behavior. So put yourself in a position where that won't happen. Places you shouldn't go, things you shouldn't watch, people you shouldn't associate with. Where we get into trouble all the time is not the things that God permits to strengthen our souls and strengthen our faith. Where we get into trouble so often is when we allow it and we know we did. Or when we let down our guard, we did it, we thought we would get through it, we thought it wouldn't affect us, we thought it would have no influence over it. And for just a moment or an hour or two, we let down our guard and, our guard and the enemy comes flooding in with a number of opportunities to pull us backwards. It's not only when we allow it or when we let our guard down. There are times in many people's lives that they know they've been moving toward freedom in a certain area or away from the things that have pulled them back in their spiritual life or the things that just simply they walked away from when they were in darkness and now they're in light and they're moving toward God. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they turn around and start looking back over their shoulder to what they used to be or what they used to do or where they used to go or the people they used to associate with, and they know it was going to hurt them. They know it was going to pull them backwards, but for some reason, they turn around and do that. I want to say this tenderly, but did you ever hit an animal on the road? Now, stay with me while you're going, what are you talking about? 
Just stay with me on this one. If you've never hit one, I'm sure you've seen one. Where they're running across the road, they're, they're scampering with everything they've got. I love little squirrels and especially chipmunks. I mean, those feet are running as fast as they can to what? Get to the other side. They know there's a break. Why on earth they wait until a car is coming is totally beyond my comprehension. But you've all seen it, I'm sure, somewhere along the way. The commercials, I love that squirrel that's just like this when he knows the tires are screeching. And all of a sudden, he's running to the other side as fast as he can, and the brakes are going on, and you know what in your head you're saying. What are you saying? Don't turn around. Keep on running. Keep on going as fast as you can. Man, my brakes are squealing. My wife is praying because she hates it whenever there's an animal that's going to get hurt. And the very thing that comes out of her mouth on a regular occasion is don't stop. Don't turn around. Don't change your mind. Because the moment they stop, the moment they turn around, the moment they change their mind and go back to what they came from instead of moving toward freedom is what? The moment they get nailed. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen in your life and mine. For those that let their guard down, allow areas in their life that they shouldn't let down, or they know they've been free from something. They know they shouldn't go back to that bar again. They know they shouldn't do this again. They know they shouldn't watch that anymore. They know, and the list is endless of those things. And I'm not going to tell you what they are. The Spirit of God has already told you what they are. And if you're open to Him, He will tell you what they are. But you head toward freedom. You want to be free. You walked out of darkness toward the light. You're wanting to be all that God wants you to be. And for whatever reason, you turn around, you look back, you wonder about it. And the moment you do, the moment you turn around or even go backwards is the moment Satan's coming to say, now I've got you. And Peter says exactly what happens to that little squirrel. He is out to kill you. So don't let it happen. So what is his advice? Verse 9, stand. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your convictions. Stand firm in your beliefs. Stand firm in your decisions. Stand firm as a parent. If there are guidelines and parameters or boundaries that you put in your home and the kids say, well, everybody else does it. They have one. I watch that. They do this. They go there. I'm just telling you as a parent, if you put those boundaries and guidelines in your home, stick to them. You are the parent. Take my advice. Parent. Now, again, don't be so rigid and stuffy and tight that they feel like they're living in a bubble and can't do anything and don't have any idea what life is all about. All of a sudden, they get out of your world and go to college somewhere and run amok and never turn back. I'm not talking about being that rigid, but I am simply saying there are things as a family, boundaries and parameters that you need to build into your life so that they're standing firm. You, they know what you believe. They know why you believe it. They know what the convictions are. They know what the boundaries are. And so my encouragement, Peter's encouragement, stand strong in that. Stand strong in your faith, your convictions, your decisions, your beliefs. You're the parent, parent. You and I both know, we've all watched it where we're not sure who's actually running the home. God has given you and I the responsibility. He's clearly laid it out from the beginning to the end that it's our responsibility. From Deuteronomy to Ephesians, it's just all over the scripture. Mom, dad, you have a responsibility. Take it seriously. The Greek word for standing firm means not just holding your position. It's a military term that speaks not just to holding your position, but very specifically holding your position when pressure is being applied to move. That's a clear understanding that you need to grasp. It's not just holding your ground when things are going well. It's easy to stand strong when things are going well, when there's no temptation, no wind blowing, none of that stuff. The issue is here is to stand your ground even when you're under attack. 
to stand your ground when the enemy is pushing against you. Stand your ground when conversations come your way that shouldn't be. Stand your ground when temptation is there. Stay solid and firm in your convictions. Stay hard and solid in that. It's not standing firm when things are going well. It's standing firm because I've made some decisions that I'm going to stay with and stick with, even in the midst of the attacks that come at my way. The, the, firm, the word stand firm infers stability. 2 Thessalonians 2.15, stand firm in truth. Brother, stand firm and hold to the teachings that we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. Scripture warns against instability. 2 Peter 2, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. Ephesians, Paul says, stay strong. Don't be like those that are tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, every wave of teaching, every cunning and craftiness of men, even when they use their deceitful teaching. James 1 said, the double-minded man is unstable in all he does. In Genesis 49, Jacob, the leader of the tribes of Israel, is calling his children together at the end of his life and giving them a blessing. He calls Reuben in. He said, you're my firstborn. I might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor and excelling in power, but you are as turbulent as water. You will no longer excel. Essentially, he was saying, with all your training, all your potential, all of your giftedness, you're as turbulent as water going in any direction that life may lead you. In his case, he lost his blessing. The Apostle Paul gives the same vice Peter does in Ephesians chapter 6. And three or four different occasions from verses 11 to 14, he uses the phrase, stand firm. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground so that after you've done everything, to stand. Verse 14, stand firm there. Think he's trying to make a point? We've got to make sure that we understand what that means. Peter and Paul's advice to stand firm is more than a pet talk, more than a motivational talk, more than just gritting your teeth and facing the challenges of the world is absolutely critical to making it through life. Paul says in Ephesians, stand firm in the Lord. Peter says, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in the Lord as opposed to the other things that I might try to get my strength from or to get life from. Peter and Paul both had fascinating stories. Peter had probably more potential than anyone could have imagined, I think even in himself. Depended on so many occasions on his own power and his ingenuity, on his own ability. Jesus even called him the rock. Look how special I am. And he allowed that to consume his life. Paul had everything. One of the most well-educated men in his time tells his own story in Ephesians chapter 3 when he said, I thought I could get life from pursuits and accomplishments, but it only left me empty, and I realized that life is only found in Christ and Christ alone. Paul says to us, as I want to tie that in with Peter's words, that you need to really make sure that you've prepared yourself and stood firm and you stand strong before the evil day occurs. Not when it comes at you, but before you go into battle. In the next week or two, many of them have already made that decision, but in these few weeks here in the beginning of the year, a lot of students are making a decision about the future, about college. What does that look like? Where am I going to go? What kind of help can I get? What's the best thing for my environment? What's the best pursuit of my goals and dreams and visions? And, and those are great times. They're also incredibly challenging times. My advice is and always has been, that if indeed you as a believer in Jesus Christ are making a decision about a campus, be very aware of the environment in which you're going to let yourself go into and be very aware of the challenges that you'll be facing. 
Because I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, when Paul says, you better prepare yourself before the day comes, as sure as I'm standing here, every single value you have will be challenged. Every single value you hold dear will be challenged. Especially if you go to the secular campus. I'm not saying yes or no to that. There are some great choices on both sides of that. As a parent, as a student, I'm just saying to you, you better be sure that you're standing firm because every single value you hold dear will be challenged. 70%, according to stateofemergency.org by Man and Amir, 70% of high schoolers leave church when they graduate and one-third never return. So make sure that you prepare them. Stand firm to faith and first what? Not that I have faith, but a, that I have a faith. A faith in a living God. Paul would add that phrase, a faith in the Lord. That, that what I'm leaning on when life and the friends and media and the enemy all come at me and encourage me to go in a certain direction or temptation confronts me or challenges me, that I won't give in, that I won't give up because my strength to resist, my ability to stand firm is in my convictions in the Lord and in His Word, which infers two things in your sermon notes. Number one, that you have a personal relationship with the living God. And secondly, that you're in His Word. That you have a personal relationship with the living God. Paul would say, have faith in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Not just that you know there's a God. Not a person in this room, not a person I've ever contacted as I've walked through the streets of Butler. If I say to them, do you believe that God exists? Absolutely. You know there's a God? Yep. Nobody would deny that. Many do, I get it, but no one that I've talked to denies it. The issue isn't that you believe that God exists, but that we have a personal relationship with the living God. That I've given my life over to Him, that I've yielded myself to His control. That I've allowed Him to come into my life and take over. Not just that I know there's a God or that God exists somewhere, but that I've given my life to Christ. Your ability to stand firm in the midst of all the unshakiness in the world around me is absolutely critically dependent upon that first step. Secondly, it's obviously to be in the Word. To be in the Word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not, what? Sin. Psalm 37, the law of the Lord is in my heart. Because of that, my feet do not slip. Hopefully you're in it on a regular basis. If you're not and you've never really read the Word of God on a regular basis, my encouragement is this. Do not start in Leviticus. Matter of fact, if you honestly have not had a regular pattern in reading the Word of God, my encouragement would be this. Ephesians, James, Philippians. Start there. I give you enough to talk to, you, talk to me again in January of next year. Because that will give you enough to keep you going over the next number of months because they are incredibly rich books. You want to add to that? You want, a best, you want the best vitamin in the world? It's one a day. It's Proverbs. There's one a day for you. It is the absolute best vitamin you'll ever take. To be in the Word. Number three, spend time in worship. Spend time in worship in your sermon notes. Worship entails a lot of things. Obviously, you'll have a number of different interpretations of that. Many will think it's just singing. Many will think it's instrumental issues. But worship encompasses a lot. It's submission to the Word of God. It is praise. It is prayer. It is giving. It is an opportunity to teach, to take the life of another person to the next level. There are people that worship all over this campus that don't always make it in here, but are spending time worshiping God in a variety of ways. Worshiping God gives me an opportunity to express my love and my gratitude. 
to be reminded of his grace, to be reminded of his love, to have the opportunity to pass it on to others, to prepare myself to hear the voice of God, to connect to the God of praise. Book of Psalms, it talks about God inhabiting the praise of his people. Any of you old enough to remember that we used to call a lot of the stuff that we do in a morning service preliminaries? Any of you that old? Just me. I've often was fascinated by that term, and I've, I, I wanted to ask somebody uh, somewhere along the way, preliminary to what? As if these things don't matter, as if they're unimportant, as if they're inconsequential. And many of the guys that would call them preliminaries were pastors because they kind of felt what they did was the most important. And it all centered up till that moment when he stood in the pulpit and shared the word of God. And, and that's a wonderful time. Obviously, I, <laughs> that's what I've been doing for 35 years. Praise is so many things. Worship is an adoration, an opportunity to give my life to Christ, to, be, or to, to spend my time with Him, listening to His voice, giving adoration and praise, spending time in His Word. Number four, spend time with God. Spend time with God. Psalm 81, he said, all of my people would listen. And they would hear my voice and I would subdue their enemies and destroy their adversaries. But so often it begins when we wait on God. All the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. Daniel waited 21 days before God intervened. But he waited and waited and waited and spent time with God. A lot of people by nature are doers. Got to do something, got to hurry up, got to do this. And, and they'll run half prepared for that event or that challenge. And there are many of us that just need to simply spend some time with God. There's time for activity, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But you can never un not balance it correctly. With time alone with God, Nehemiah prayed and fasted for Jerusalem over and over and over again. Number five, deal with or identify whatever sin God points out. Again, going back to the Old Testament when Nehemiah and Ezra and Isaiah and many others like them were praying for their nation. They included confession in that process. These men were godly men, but they identify with the sins of their people. You go all the way through the Old Testament, you'll find them not just simply saying like, Lord, forgive them, they're a mess. Lord, straighten them out, they really need it. But they'll say phrases like, God, forgive me, forgive us, I'm sorry for what we have done. And they constantly, continually identify with the sins of their people. It's easy to point at other people and acknowledge or recognize what they have done. I think confession is one of the things, to be honest with you, a whole other sermon coming up one of these days, but... One of those things we don't do well. If you've ever been with anyone in a 12-step program, AA or Celebrate Recovery, one of the steps they have to take is spend time with somebody they trust. They've done it with me on a number of occasions where they'll come in and they'll share their stuff. They'll tell everything they've ever done. They'll get it all out. They don't want to carry it anymore. And as I've listened to some of those situations and stories, I felt, you know what, they're so much more at times freer than believers who just keep stuffing it all down and hope that no one notices. There's so many things that, that God reminds us of that we know we have maybe never done, but we have created an environment where that can happen. Abortion is one of the atrocities, as I said a moment ago, of our nation. Thousands of children are slaughtered every year. Many of us have never even thought about an abortion. But we have tolerated sins like sexual immorality and people who can't wait for marriage, a climate that contributes to the atmosphere so that it exists, uh, the love of comfort that would rather destroy a child than change a lifestyle. 
when the people of God begin to identify with the sins of a city or a church or a nation so that instead of saying God save them, say God save us is many times when God moves. Number six, overcome evil with good. When you see an evil, counteract it with good. When you see something that isn't right, take a stand, do something about it. These folks have committed their lives to saying this is wrong. It's an abomination to our nation. It's an abomination to our community. It's an abomination to life itself. And we can't be like this, the, the, the priest and the Levite to the story of the Good Samaritan who just walk on by as if it doesn't exist. They decided to commit their lives to something like this. So many people that get into careers like that, whether it be the healthcare field or the police officers who say, you know what, evil exists and I can't just ignore it as if it doesn't do there. We have to, every once in a while, determine that we're going to stand for what's right. We're going to fight evil where we can. Probably at some point heard that classic line that I think Edmund Burke said first, where evil prevails when good men do nothing. When we know it's there, we know it exists, but we choose to ignore it. If you're going to do that, you've got to do number seven, and that is appropriate the armor of God. Clearly laid out for us in Ephesians chapter 6 and the book of Acts, Paul and his associates were taking on the enemy at every turn. At one point, they were literally casting out demons, and others who observed it thought, that is really cool. We ought to try that. And so they did. Demons came out of that girl and beat the daylights out of them. He is more powerful than you and I. We can't underestimate his ability, but we need to, underest or we need to overestimate and continue to utilize and appropriate the resources that God has given us. Number eight, obviously, take advantage of all the resources available, counseling that we even have the number there for you from Christian Counselors Collaborative. Tom Laird is the name of the guy that sets it all up, starts tomorrow, literally, at Community Alliance every Monday. Incredible timing that's available to us that we could take advantage of. Books, do some research, read balanced stuff. Don't be afraid of some stuff. It just frustrates me sometimes when people are afraid, oh, a little too charismatic. Find balanced stuff, but read and understand the power of the enemy and what he does and what he's able to do. That sometimes we ignore and hope it doesn't go, hope it goes away and it doesn't. And number nine, get connected. Do not stay isolated. Get connected within the family of God, whether it be in a small group, whether it be one of the ministries that we offer. There's so many great ministries that we offer here. Incredible opportunity in a small group to be able to stay connected, get connected, to find some trusted, honest friends that we can unload our stuff with, that we can talk to them about, that we can be able to find some people that really do understand and identify with some of our struggles, that we can feel that the freedom is coming because they care enough to listen. They want to help. They're going to pray for me. We're going to walk through this road together until I have ultimate freedom and out the other side. Those are just nine of some of the things that God provides for us so that we do not have to be destroyed by the enemy pushed around, and not able to get freedom that's available to us in Christ. Next Sunday morning, Ted picks up in Second Peter chapter 1, and essentially he's going to say, look, I've given you everything necessary so that you can make it. All available to take advantage of it. I want to end this morning with just a song or two of worship. It's a great way of spending time realizing again what God has provided, what he has done, and what's available to us. Connor and I leave for the airport right after this service this morning, so we won't be around a little bit. But next Sunday morning, Pastor Ted's going to be here. We're at a 
large church conference this week with pastors of the CNMA of churches our size and then appreciate your prayers while we're gone. But again, God has given us everything we need. Take advantage of it. It's for your freedom, your benefit, and your future. Let's praise him together.